if he never froze his foot half off and, you know, complained about a helmet for six months, he'd still be like a top two round pick. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Palashati. With me now, in all ways, is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, dude? Hey, brother. We are in the midst of week two. It is Thursday Night Football on my television, and Daniel Jones is throwing and looking like an NFL quarterback. It's really weird. I don't know what to take from any of this. Against a really good defense, too. Yeah. I'm surprised. The NFL never uh, never ceases to amaze me. Every time I think I got a, a rap on what's going to happen, something crazy happens. But this is episode 19, I think. <laughs> a bit of a debate. Is We're in the high teens. 19? We're in the high teens. <laughs> Somewhere up there. Episode high teens. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> uh, so what do we have on tap today? We got news and notes, injury roundup. We're going to go over a little preview of what's to come this week in the NFL and uh, what you should look out for in fantasy. And finally, we're going to finish with some more contender and rebuilder buys and sells. So, first things first, it's time for the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Actually, actually, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. Things get a little more interesting in the Baltimore backfield as Devontae Freeman was promoted to the active roster. So uh, we haven't seen Le'Veon Bell get elevated yet, but we have heard from John Harbaugh, and he said that the team has four backs in the mix and will play all those guys moving forward. In quotes, play all those guys. So, man, this is uh, it sounds like it's going to get real sketchy in Baltimore and put us all in a position where we're never going to know who to start on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, the good news is we know it's Baltimore and it should be a pretty large sample to work with as far as the running game is concerned. But as of right now, I can't imagine owning anyone outside of Tyson Williams and feeling good about it. Maybe I'm stashing Latavius Murray, but these other guys, Devontae Freeman getting called up, I really don't care. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell not getting called up, I think is a much bigger deal than the fact that Devontae Freeman was called up. I, I have to make... In my head, that just means Le'Veon Bell is completely toast. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, you know Le'Veon Bell next week getting called up and Devontae Freeman is down in the practice squad. It's uh, I think both these guys are busted, um, but yeah, it's a confusing situation, and we're just gonna have to wait and see. I think that's just the way it's gonna be for the next few weeks. From one confusing backfield to another, heading over to Tampa Bay, Bruce Arians says Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and Gio Bernard are all, in quotes, all starters. So, okay. What does that mean? What does that Thanks, mean Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this is interesting. You have Ronald Jones, loves the fumble. You have Leonard Fournette, who uh, for some reason has gotten a ton of pass volume in his career but can't catch passes. And then you have Gio Bernard, who all he can really do is catch passes, and he's 48 years old. 
So this is just so just another confusing backfield. Yeah, and the thing is, without an injury or maybe even multiple injuries, I don't know that any of these guys really have any even top twenty upside. At least you could say with the Ravens rushing attack, whoever is the lead back there has the upside of being a part of a good running offense, but that's never really been Bruce Arians offense and it's never really been any of these running backs, at least not for an extended period of time. So before at least one of these guys is knocked out of the mix, it's pretty much just avoid all three. It's weird because, you know, selfishly, I'd like them to give Keyshawn Vaughn a shot. Well, he's the only one who we know for a fact is not a starter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's the only one. <laughs> he was actually a healthy scratch last week, so uh, yeah, clearly not a starter. But he's like the only young back that 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 this regime drafted. So you would think they'd want to at least give him a shot. It's not like they he you know he'd be facing up against uh, star running backs for 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 touches. So and uh, I I just don't get it down there. I mean, it seems like they're doing everything right in Tampa Bay, but figuring out the backfield. Hey, it's working. Down in Miami, Will Fuller missed practice Thursday for personal reasons. Uh, report is he's still on track to play Sunday. So he missed uh, week one, serving the last game of his suspension. Suspected to be back, or uh, reported to, to be back this Sunday, but personal reasons. That always makes you concerned. I mean, you can never predict. Nobody knows what's going to happen down there. I think it's something we should just monitor and uh, be prepared to pivot if you have to. Absolutely. Injury roundup. So, a few well-known, uh, highly sought-after fantasy assets in the past are now in some uh, sketchy situations. Brandon Ayuk was a full participant in practice, no longer limited by the hamstring. Do you think that hamstring was that big of a uh, factor in his playing time this past week? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> who knows? But the, the thing I do know about it is I'm absolutely staying away from Brandon Ayuk for starting lineups this week. If I have them, I'm even in uh, the league that you and I are doing together where my team is just completely rebuilding and in shambles. I don't have other options and I'm still benching Brandon Ayuk. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with him in week two. It is very scary. I mean, going up against an Eagles team that doesn't exactly have the greatest secondary in the world, you'd think, it, you know, two weeks ago, if you were looking at the schedule, you were like, man, Brandon sure. Ayuk week two, that's going to be a great start. But now nobody wants to touch him with a 10-foot pole. So, yeah, sketchy situation. Odell Beckham Jr. has been ruled out for week two. So, out week one, out week two. And in uh, Cleveland, guy who's kind of taking snaps from uh, – or filling in, I should say, for, for Odell Beckham Jr., Anthony Schwartz has been limited in practice all week but is also expected to play. In a game where they're playing Houston Texans – I think the spread is 12 and a half. <laughs> Sounds um, I don't, right. <laughs> I don't know if the, there is much of a big deal when it comes to the passing options. I don't think there's going to be a ton of passing volume in this game in general. Um, but, you know, missing Odell Beckham Jr., potentially missing Anthony Schwartz. Do you think this is just going to be a Nick Chubb cream hunt fest? Or do you think there's going to be some uh, targets to be had by those, you know, other wide receivers in that offense like Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones? Well, the running attack is the way Vegas is projecting, and I learned now. I learned by now not to bet against Vegas, and there's really no reason to think that Houston's going to make this a competitive game. Maybe, maybe Cleveland throws a little bit early in the game before the game is just completely out of hand. And I am going to be watching Schwartz and Donovan Peoples Jones to see 
how they're utilized when it's not a track meet, like we saw in week one against Kansas City. When we have these games that Cleveland wants to rely on the run more, and obviously the pie shrinks, what does Anthony Schwartz role become? What does Donovan Peoples-Jones role become? And as far as the Odell Beckham side of this, it was not even halfway through the week. I think it was Wednesday or, or maybe Thursday morning that Odell Beckham was ruled out for week two. So that's not encouraging, even moving forward and looking ahead to week three. So if you're relying on Odell Beckham, you've got to do something because I'm definitely not penciling him in for week three. And even if he is, I, I don't think I'm very comfortable starting him right away. So bad situation. But luckily for all the listeners, we told you to avoid him all offseason. So no one out there should have any shares. Josh Jacobs, Gabriel Davis, Marquise Brown, and Zach Ertz all missed practice on Wednesday. So got some up-and-coming assets as well as some older, you know, falling-off assets like Zach Ertz all missing practice. And I think you guys all just put it in the notes, put it in the injury roundup so you guys are aware and are prepared to pivot if you need to. These are also fluid situations. We don't know if they will be ready. So pay attention Sunday morning. Get ready to pivot if you need to. It is time for our weekly preview. We're going to go through the whole slate of games, give you some stuff to uh, keep your eyes on and pay attention to whether you have these guys on your team or not. This is Dynasty. You never know when that when the market is going to open up to, to possibly trade for these guys or trade some of these guys away. So it's important to pay attention to all these storylines. I am going to start us off down there in New York. The New England Patriots headed to the New York Jets. Biggest things on this one, I think Damian Harris is going to see a huge workload. This is a situation where guys are like me that were touting Damian Harris. This is what we were hoping for. These good game scripts, Damian Harris should be getting a ton of volume. And this is also the lowest over-under of the week at 43.5. Totally not something that you'd like to see with your fantasy assets involved. So other than maybe a Damian Harris or a Mac Jones and Superflex, probably a stay-away game. Yeah, low over-under in New England is actually giving five and a half points on the road. Harrison Stevenson both had fumbles in week one. It was, however, the first fumble, I believe, of Damian Harris's career. So we'll see if there's any sort of backlash. But do keep an eye on J.J. Taylor to see how involved he gets in week two. That's a good point. All right, down to Jacksonville, where the Jaguars will host the Denver Broncos. Jacksonville was blown out by the Houston Texans last week, so pay attention to see how they rebound now against a far superior Denver team. And on Denver, pay attention to see the K.J. Hamler and Tim Patrick splits. How does Denver break up the receiving game? And also, in a game that's probably going to be out of hand quickly, how does Denver break up the carries in the backfield? Yeah, with Judy out of the way, you got to look at what they do with their target share. Does Noah Fant get a huge target share? Do the running backs take a lot more targets on? And uh, over there in Jacksonville, does, does James Robinson take a lot of work after Urban Meyer was stated as saying he, he doesn't want to pass nearly as much as he passed this past week? So maybe look for Jacksonville to rely on the run early and often. Going over to Miami, Buffalo headed to Miami for another NFC East Divisional bout. Josh Allen, facing two back-to-back tough defenses. So maybe this opens up an early buying window if Josh Allen doesn't have the greatest week two. And also, you want to see if Tua's tendencies change or the play style changes with Will Fuller back on the field if he does indeed play, uh, as we mentioned earlier, facing some personal issues right now. Yeah, definitely keeping an eye on Will Fuller, hoping to hopefully get some clarity in that wide receiver room. Is it going to be him? Is it going to be Waddle? Is it going to be uh, Devontae Parker? So keep an eye on that receiver room to see who is that guy rotating out more frequently than the others. And on the other side for Buffalo, let's see if any of these guys can step up to be the wide receiver too, alongside Stephon Diggs. 
Next up, Kyle Shanahan takes his Niners to Philly to take on the Eagles. The first game post-Mostert, say that 10 times fast, for the San Francisco 49ers. Can Trey Sermon and Brandon Ayuk or Brandon Ayuk bounce back? This is going to be a big test also for Jalen Hurts playing a tough defense. And if he has a big game, look for his stock to take off. First game post-Mostert. First game post-Mostert. First game post-Mostert. Damn Yeah, I didn't think so, son. It It was worth a shot. Uh, Jalen's mini breakout last week gets put to the test. He's going against a much tougher San Francisco defense, but they did lose Jason Verrett, and they lost Dre Greenlaw, as well as Javon Kinlaw not playing in this one. So three big-time defensive assets for them, out. So I think Jalen has a a, a low-key, really good start this week. And uh, is Trey Sermon active? Or did the signing of Trenton Cannon mean anything? Uh, That San Francisco backfield is confusing, but it's worth keeping an eye on. Over there in Indianapolis, the Rams come into town. And outside of Jonathan Taylor, maybe Naheem Hines is a flex, but I think uh, other than that, you got to wait and see for the weapons in Indy and see if Carson is going to stay timid or if he's going to start pushing the ball to, to the outside to his uh, wide receivers. And also, uh, one of my biggest questions, is Dow Henderson's volume going to continue to be what we saw in week one? Is he going to have a stranglehold on that backfield? Yeah, the Rams were on cruise control for three quarters of week one, so this should be a more competitive game. Let's see how the offense looks. And as far as Indy goes, do they have a usable wide receiver? Hopefully we'll find out. I actually do like Paris Campbell as sort of a dark horse to emerge in this receiver room that's still wide open. Next up, Las Vegas, the 1-0 Raiders take on the 1-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. Both teams stole wins in week one. I expect all the Pittsburgh skill players to be better, and if Carr uses rugs or Edwards in the receiving game, I'm ready to push my chips all in on either one of these guys. If he can pull targets away from Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro and start using those boundary guys a little bit more, wheels up on either one. I personally like Brian Edwards a little bit more than Henry Ruggs, but I'm willing to buy either one if I see him getting the right usage. Yeah, this is an interesting interesting matchup. You have two of the worst offensive lines in football against two of some of the best pass rushes in football. So I think you're going to see a low-scoring game Maybe not a lot of fantasy points in this one. And I would also monitor Josh Jacobs' injury. Uh, once again, he did, he did not uh, practice on Wednesday. So keep an eye on that one. Kenyon Drake would be the guy to own there if Josh Jacobs cannot go. Moving on to Chicago. Cincinnati comes to town. Will we see Justin Fields this week? I think we will. I think mm. uh, Chicago, and this is obviously speculation, but I think Chicago, after what we saw last week, their hands are going to be tied. I think it's time Justin Fields sees the field. And uh, the running backs in this game, I think they're both going to be must-starts. I mean, if they continue to get the volume that they both saw and the uh, the rush share that they both saw in week one, and I, I don't know if – I didn't think I would ever say it, but I'm really confident in these two backs and Joe Mixon and David. Yeah, if Joe Mixon can pull 30-plus touches again, he's got an RB1 – not an RB1, the RB1 ceiling in fantasy. And my question for Chicago, are they going to do anything to stretch the field? Anything more than 10 yards downfield? That possibility may only be if Justin Fields takes over under center for a prolonged period. Now the aforementioned Houston-Cleveland matchup. Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones are the main two that I'm looking at. Talked about it a little bit earlier. I want to see who is staying on the field. Who is getting targets when the pie isn't as large? Do you want some pie? Can either one of them really established themselves alongside Jarvis Landry and carve out a permanent role even once Odell Beckham returns. Brandon Cooks, really the only fantasy asset that I care about on the Houston side of the field. Can he repeat repeat after having a great week one? 
yeah, I think it's a good chance to see who demands targets in a very likely negative game script in Houston. I mean, they, they spent some draft capital on Nico Collins. They have the aforementioned Brandon Cooks. Are, are any of the tight ends going to be getting a ton of targets in this one? I think it's something you should pay attention to. And also, Nick Chubb, man, if there's any week that he could be the RB1, it might be this week. Um, he could be very efficient, very effective, with a heavy workload and a good game script in Cleveland. Moving on to Carolina, the Saints come to town in the first big test for Sam Darnold's new offense. Uh, can Marquez Callaway be the one when he's not facing a top three cornerback in the league? Uh, only one catch last week, obviously very disappointing going up against Jair Alexander. Um, can he reclaim the hype that he had coming into uh, the, the season in the preseason? And uh, can Adam Troutman maintain an elite target share? If so, I think he's on his way to a great fantasy season, but he, that's something he's going to need to maintain. Yeah, it's like you're stealing my notes straight out from under me. Much more volume is going to be telling for this New Orleans passing game, specifically the guys you talked about. I'm watching how the tight ends are broken up, and specifically is Marquez Callaway the surefire one on the team. On the other side of the ball, I'm paying attention specifically to the wide receiver two battle. I'm paying very close attention to the Terrace Marshall versus Robbie Anderson usage. Next up, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals will host the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm asking myself, is K.J. Osborne really a part of this offense, or was he just a product of a good game script and playing from behind in week one on the other side of the ball did Rondale Moore earn a bigger role he was incredibly efficient with the time he was on the field can he push AJ Green to be that wide receiver too alongside New Hopkins I think it's important to see what happens with this Viking Vikings offensive line if they are as bad as they showed last week I mean are they going to lower the upside of Devin Cook I doubt it but they're definitely going to affect Kirk Cousins and the weapons that he's going to be throwing the ball to so I think it might be important to see how things are trending in Minnesota. Maybe uh, make some moves to to adjust, sell some some Minnesota weapons, or or uh, buy some uh, weapons elsewhere. Moving on to Tampa Bay, where the number one in the NFC South faces the number four team, the Atlanta Falcons, in the NFC South. I got Tampa Bay by a million in this one. I don't think it's even going to be close. I think Calvin Ridley is facing a very tough secondary. It's going to be hard for him to be that wide receiver one you drafted him as this week. And Kyle Pitts facing probably the best linebacker safety combination in the league. So his breakout might have to wait another week. But obviously don't panic. I think these guys are both really good. But it's important to see if maybe they can, if they can thrive in this matchup, they might be able to to, uh, produce against anybody. Yeah, Tom Brady, handsome fellow, proven champion friend and confidant. I'm looking for him to encourage his buddy Mike (laughs) Evans this week after having a down week one. Similar to the way we saw him do it with Antonio Brown when he came into town last week. He likes to look out for his pass catchers, even especially after they have those rough weeks. How many times did we see it last year from Gronk when he would have a down week and then he shows up in the stat sheet for multiple touchdowns the following week? Seems like it happens all the time. So I'm definitely expecting Brady to pepper Mike Evans early and often after a bad week one, and I'm not going to overreact at the other pass catchers, the Chris Godwins, the Antonio Browns, the Rob Gronkowskis, sort of suffer because of it. I'm not going to overplay that. And on the other side, Kyle Pitts. Can he have back-to-back weeks as the number two option behind Calvin Ridley in that offense? All right, next up to the Pac Northwest, where the Seattle Seahawks host the Tennessee Titans. It is a 53.5 point over under. This game should be a track meet. I love the top four pass catchers and both quarterbacks in this game play everybody. I am concerned about the play-action percentage of Tennessee. I've heard a few people bring it up, and I tried to look into it a little bit more. Tennessee went from the top in the league in terms of play-action usage under Arthur Smith, and then when he's gone, 
the new the new OC comes in and in week one it's one of the lowest passing uh, play action passing percentage in the league. That's kind of scary to me. Uh, I also think this game screams Derrick Henry. I think he's going to get a ton of volume in this one. I think they're going to try to get back to their roots. And if that's the case, I'll be excited to play Tennessee Titans from here on out. But if they're not running the ball a ton and not using their play action often, I'm going to be a little concerned. On to Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Dallas Cowboys. I think you can expect to see CD play more outside this week with Gallup out and for the foreseeable future with Gallup out. Maybe not as heavily targeted as he was in week one, but probably higher value targets, to be honest. And I think the Cowboys struggle to rush the passer and they kind of live in a nickel defense. So everybody on LA is a potential one at their position. Herbert, uh, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, I think there's going to be points. It's going to be a point fest. Points galore for LA against this bad uh, Dallas defense. This this game is going to be a, uh, a monster fantasy game for all involved. Yeah, I especially love the two backfields. Look for both of these RB1s to at least double what they did on the ground in week one. I'm asking myself during this matchup, is Mike Williams actually happening? Are we buying another fourth-year, fifth-year breakout from one of these wide receivers? Definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Cedric Wilson, also something I'm keeping an eye on. Just to monitor, I'm still not willing to buy it. Next up, maybe the most intriguing matchup of the weekend. Kansas City goes to Baltimore. I'm paying very close attention to both of these running backs. Can Tyson Williams keep the lead role? Can he stave off Latavius Murray or Devonta Freeman, who was just called up? And can Clyde Edwards-Hilaire have that breakout game that we've been waiting for? Uh, he had a couple sparks, I would guess you would say, early in his rookie season, but wasn't able to do it with any sort of consistency. Can he get on track this week against Baltimore? Yeah, I'm looking for any pass catchers in uh, Baltimore to show up. I mean, the Baltimore's O-line was predictably bad last week, and in a another likely bad game script coming, the Kansas City pass rushers are just going to be teeing off most of the day. So Lamar's going to be running for his life. Who's going to get open? Who is going to demand targets for Lamar Jackson? But this is the highest over-under of the week at 55.5 points. So there should be points to go around for all involved. Over to Green Bay, looking to bounce back from a tough week one, hosting Detroit, excuse me. Green Bay comes back with a vengeance in this one. I think they dominate the Lions from, from start to finish, from soup to nuts. And uh, I, I, I mean, I honestly... Really hope they dominate. I got too many Green Bay Packers on my fantasy teams, but uh, I think AJ Dillon could actually be an RB two in this one. So look for his uh, his volume. It's interesting to see if it is in fact a positive game script. How much work AJ Dillon gets. Swift and Hawkinson are fantastic starts in this one. Don't hesitate to send them in your lineup. They're going to get a ton of volume just like they did last week. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm also starting Jamal Williams. I'm starting all the running backs I can against just a putrid Green Bay defense who hasn't been able to tackle for about man, 25 years now. And I'm asking myself, can DeAndre Swift take over that lead role? It was much more a split. And was that because of the groin injury? Was it because of the mispractice? I don't know. I'm hoping to get some answers to that this weekend. Start the big three for Green Bay, and I like the deeper plays. One you already talked about in A.J. Dillon, and the next would be Marquez Valdez-Scantling. If you want a chance for a big bomb touchdown, Valdez-Scantling brings that to the tape. Is he the bona fide two in Green Bay? I would say so. Very well. That's it for the weekly preview. Uh, so a little, I hope you guys took some notes, man. We were flying, but those are all things that are important to look for to be a better fantasy manager, dominating your opponents. It's time we have the contenders and rebuilders, buys and sells. We're going to start with the buys. 
Bye, Felicia. Bye, bye. Bye. I got our contender by this week, and his name is the is none other than Antonio Brown. So wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a great week one, but I want to talk about it and give it some context. So we saw him dominate the Cowboys, not a great defense. And with only eight opportunities, you can't really say he had amazing volume. But once again, I think the context really matters at this. So his first touch of week one was uh, at, at about midfield, they took a deep shot in first and 10 early in the game. That screams that this play was schemed up for Antonio Brown. The next play, TB12 goes right back to him for another 16 yards. Fast forward to the next drive, another scheme touch, a rushing attempt actually for, for Antonio Brown to start the drive. So clearly they want to get him the ball. And then the next play, another deep shot for Antonio Brown for 28-yard gain. These are high-value opportunities and they're schemed up by the offense and they're working so the offense has a reason to go back to them and later in the game another deep shot a third deep shot and another connection this one for 47 yards and a touchdown so what they're doing and how they're scheming Antonio Brown is working and we know Tom Brady if you don't stop it he will continue to bludgeon you with it I don't think there's any reason why or what they saw last week would make them think that this is not a valuable part of their offense going back to AB taking deep shots to Antonio Brown so the point is, with all the stuff I just mentioned, is that the offense is loaded with weapons and Antonio Brown is getting some of the most valuable ones there are. And I think there's a reason, or I don't think there's a reason that they'll stop it. So Kyle talked about how Mike Evans is, he's a great player, but he isn't getting the volume that, that he would need to get in order to pay back the ADP that you got about. And then Chris Godwin plays it, he's a fantastic wide receiver and I don't think he's going to be negatively affected by Antonio Brown. But he plays a totally different role than A.B. does. He's more the underneath intermediate guy. A.B. is your deep shot, manufactured touches guy. So if you're a contender, I think you can get him cheap because he has a history of being unreliable off the field. He was basically free in Dynasty about a year ago. And he plays yeah. a totally different role than these other guys. And you can easily um, be scared off when he's he's playing next to all these fantastic weapons. And also, he's 33 years old. So... Uh, if you're a rebuilder, there's no reason to hold a 33-year-old wide receiver on your team unless you're trying to get something out of him, which is what we're trying to do, get that player on our team. So maybe it takes a few late-round rookie picks, but in a year where his upside is phenomenal, and I don't think anybody would be surprised if he ends the year as the number one wide receiver in that offense or even a wide receiver one. I mean, he's a seven-time 1,000-yard receiver, 1,000-yard receiver. So if he does it again and scores – eight touchdowns would anybody be surprised i don't think so and that would be a fantastic starter for a contender going for a title so i would get antonio brown on your team now yeah absolutely love this call antonio brown I, he's still being valued i guarantee you we do a draft today he's not going in the top 20 wide receivers in drafts he's still being undervalued and it's because of his age you look at the age 33 and you're completely scared off of it but let, let me let me say something real quick you've heard the phrase before Jack of all trades, master of none. Antonio Brown is a master of all trades. That, that's just what he is. He's someone who does everything at a master type level. And it's because of that that he's going to play football 
for pretty much as long as he wants to. I mean, we saw Jerry Rice, who I think is probably his most comparable player, just as far as play style and what they've actually done on the field. We saw Jerry go into what his early forties. I mean, he played forever because he did everything so well. And, uh, Antonio Brown is almost a duplicate. I th- he's one of the best. Like if I'm building a football team, the best pl- best football players I've ever seen in my life. Antonio Brown is probably one of my wide receivers. Like then, and it's not just uh, this is not just wor- lip service. Like he's he's really that good. And I, I still think that the public opinion of him is probably yeah he's a low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three, maybe somewhere in that range. And he's going to be gone soon, but. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I could absolutely see Antonio Brown finishing in that high end WR two, maybe even low end WR one on the season. And as far as his outlook moving forward, even if you are a contender, Chris Godwin is playing on the franchise tag right now, and there's a better than zero percent chance that he's not in Tampa Bay next year. And if that happens, and Tom Brady, we know, of course, is never going to die. Maybe Antonio Brown becomes the number two with a bullet instead of being the number three in 2021 or 2022, rather. So I love the Antonio Brown call. I love buying him. If I'm pretty much anything except for a surefire rebuilder, I love to have Antonio Brown on my team. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's, you know, he's bulletproof. There's a chance that uh, he doesn't get similar opportunities they had week one, but you're really going to doubt Antonio Brown, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, after he put on a performance the way he did in week one and the way that they used yeah, it. Yeah, he's still I'm got it. I'm not going to. Yeah, he's I'm still not got going it. to. If he never froze his foot half off and, you know, complained about a helmet for six months, he'd still be like a top two-round pick. So it's very I, think, uh, I think Antonio Brown is a great buy for a contender. But we're moving on to our rebuilder buy. Who do you got? Yes, on the other side of that coin for our rebuilding teams. A guy I'm targeting, talked about him a little bit earlier, is A.J. Dillon, the RB2 in the Green Bay backfield. So let's talk a little bit about A.J. Dillon. Second round pick in 2020, the first Green Bay pick after Jordan Love, but everyone forgets the rest of that draft class. Everyone wants to focus in on who the number one pick was. And, of course, have made headlines, but people sort of forget A.J. Dillon I think he was the either second or third running back off the board in that draft behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I think Jonathan Taylor was the only other running back drafted before him. Uh, maybe J.K. Dobbins, I forget, but it was somewhere in that area. He was a day two pick. And the guy's an animal. He's a monster. He's six foot, two hundred and fifty pounds, but he has a ninety seventh percentile speed and burst score. This guy is literally a tractor with nitrous attached to it this guy is a freak when you watch him run his most comparable player on playerprofiler.com steven jackson and i think that's spot on everyone who remembers steven jackson remembers what a physical just animal of a runner that he was and all right let's look forward to aj Dillon in the near future aaron jones is under contract through 2024 however comma there is a potential out after 2022, which would leave Green Bay with $6.5 million in dead cap that season. If they choose not to exercise that, they keep Aaron Jones on the roster. The Packers will play, will pay $19.25 million in 2023 and $15.25 million in 2024. I don't see that happening for a team who at that point is going to be in the post-Aaron Rodgers era and really shouldn't be spending all that, all those assets on a running back. I don't see it happening. Is there a chance that happened? Sure, but I would put most, if not all, of my chips in the basket of that not happening. So looking forward to that, next year, or maybe in a couple of years, Aaron Rodgers is gone, whether that's retirement, whether that's trade, but Aaron Rodgers is out the door. 
Green Bay is instantly going to be one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL. Now, the reason I say that, under Matt LaFleur, with Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay has ranked 17th in 2019 and 11th last year in run percentage. Okay, and you may think that's about league average. What makes you think they're going to be a run team? Let's go back to Matt LaFleur pre-Aaron Rodgers. As the Tennessee offensive coordinator in 2018, with Marcus Mariota under center and Derrick Henry in the backfield, they ranked second in the league in run percentage. Go back another year to the LA Rams when he was the offensive coordinator. When they had Jared Goff and Todd Gurley, they ranked top 10 in the league in run percentage. We all know that Matt LaFleur comes from the Kyle Shanahan type offense. With He uh, coached, obviously, with Shanahan, coached with McVay. These are coaches who like to run the football effectively. And I think that is going to become Green Bay's identity once Aaron Rodgers is out the door. Now, he's doing the smart thing. You're not going to make your your team a run-first team when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time under center, which is why I don't think A.J. Dillon is someone who's going to pay off right now if you're looking to win. This is someone where you're going to have to probably take a year, maybe two years, of really just not having playable weeks or not knowing when they're going to come. He still has those boom weeks. We saw it last year against the Tennessee Titans, and I think it was week 15, where that's the only game of his career so far where he received more than five carries. And he went for 21 carries, 124 yards, and two touchdowns in the snow in Lambeau. This guy is built to be a Green Bay Packers running back, and I love having him on my team if I plan to peak in a couple of years. Yeah, I really like this pick. You mentioned Matt LaFleur and his tendencies, but he's a smart coach and he does what smart coaches should do. And that is playing to the assets that your team has, that the talented, the most talented players on the roster. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, your boy, uh, Sirianni just had a little something to say about that. Drew himself a lot of praise for that one. Yeah. Who, who would have think saying something with common sense? Like, yeah, I'm going to do the things that's best for the best players is just, oh my God, it's, it's groundbreaking. But you have yeah. coaches like Urban Meyer down there in Jacksonville who's, yeah, okay. I, I understand now. That is yeah. a smart thing. <laughs> totally. And uh, and you would think, like you mentioned, you know, if Aaron Rodgers is gone, even if Jordan Love is, is already a top 15 quarterback and, you know, in his first meaningful um, play in Green Bay, you're still going to start with a more conservative approach to, to bring him on slowly. So you're going to rely on the offensive line, which Green Bay's historically had a good offensive line, and the running game. And who's going to be the biggest beneficiary of that? Probably not Aaron Jones because he's probably going to be out or on his way out. So it's A.J. Dillon. Unless they draft another running back, A.J. Dillon is the guy. So I think it's a good pick. Uh, Rebuilders, it's a guy you should look out for, and he shouldn't be too expensive. Moving on to our cells. Sell. No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Sell! I got the contenders this week, and my sell is Sam Darnold. So, Sam Darnold, uh, I, I've, I've already seen it, that the change of scenery narrative is being leaked from the mouths of fantasy gamers left and right to excuse Sam Darnold's career thus far. And I, if you've heard me ever speak about Sam Darnold, you know what I think about him. But we need to take advantage of the narratives. So, after a game where Sam Darnold throws for 280 yards, one touchdown, and rushes another one in to, to pat the stats, everyone's doing victory laps. You know, this is the Sam Darnold... You know, once he gets away from New uh, New York, New Jersey, he's going to be a great quarterback. Get, get out of here. He has one of the best wide receiver cores 
he definitely has the best wide receiver core of his career, and along with the best pass catching running back in football for at least the past I don't know five ten years, and it was against the Jets. I mean, probably a bottom three to five team in the NFL, and he still can't eclipse three hundred yards or have more than one passing touchdown. I mean, whether that was the game plan by by Matt Rule and uh, Joe Brady and the boys down there, or if it was just Sam's incompetence, it's just simply not good enough against probably the best matchup in the NFL. But the fact remains that people are buying into his traits once again, even though this is year four in the NFL. And maybe I'm being too harsh, but in my opinion, he's just simply not a good quarterback. He's a not he's probably a game manager. Okay. And and in Superflex, you can get good value for any starting quarterback. They really do hold their value. So if he's your third or fourth quarterback uh, as a contender, I think you need to get as much as you can for him now before he plays a really tough defense. Like he plays the Saints this week. The Saints have one of the best defense in football. Ask Green Bay. Ask the Green Bay Packers. No. What, what no, about no. If, when he plays the Bucks twice? You know th- that's going to be a problem for Sam Darnold. So if he's not, if he's not your long term option at quarterback, which I don't think he should be, uh, I think he can be sold for a solid price because he's still very young. And the narrative is out there that he's a potential long-term starter for the for someone's fantasy team. So I think it's a great opportunity to sell. And Carolina has shown that they'll be aggressive in pursuing an upgrade at the quarterback position. They went after Matt Stafford in the offseason. And I think they'll be just as aggressive in getting an upgrade over Sam Darnold if and when he shows his weaknesses, which are going to come. This He's not a very good quarterback. Uh, so for the third year in a row, I'm screaming from the mountaintops to sell Sam Darnold. <laughs> and if you're a contender, this might be one of your last chances. Yeah, if I'm a contender, that's probably the only situation. If I really want to push my chips in and go all year, I think I could find better options than Sam Darnold out there. If, however, comma, I will push back and say that if I am a team that I think is on the rise and not necessarily even a rebuilder, just a team that I think is maybe young or a year away or maybe two years away. I actually like acquiring or holding on to Sam Darnold. Um, Even though he's been in the NFL for what seems like forever, like you said, he's still very young. He's younger than Joe Burrow. He's younger than Daniel Jones, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Tua, like all those years in Gase wasting away, and he's still a very young quarterback, all right? So if if I see some development out of him this year with, like you mentioned, the best receiving core that he's ever had and see that. Um, maturity short, sort of happen over the course of the season, get few, fewer and fewer of those seeing ghost games and more games like we saw in week one. I'm actually okay with holding on to him. And I, I, I don't think his career is quite over yet. I just, I'll, I won't say that I, I think he's a surefire hit or anything like that, but I will say I haven't given up on him yet. I am out of patience. <laughs> and who dying. can blame you after all those years <laughs> under Adam Gase? I'm sure he was too. Onto my cell for the rebuilders. I am getting rid of Baltimore Ravens running back Tyson Williams. Now it should not be news to tell you that Tyson Williams is a one-year rental. Next year, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards will be back. Tyson Williams, I think, is a uh, he's an exclusive rights free agent, so there's a chance he's not even on Baltimore anymore. And I don't know if he's winning a starting job anywhere else. Some red flags that I saw in week one, even though Tyson Williams led the team in touches and carries, Latavius Murray, as I mentioned in our last episode, outcarried Tyson Williams 7-1 to in the second half in overtime of that overtime game against the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell could possibly be coming up, even though I think he's toast. Devontae Freeman has already been called up. He's going to get mixed in. I don't think these guys are talented or even more talented than Tyson Williams, but they are enough that they're going to take him off the field. They are veterans who are going to find themselves on the field. 
a little more about Tyson. He's going to be an exclusive rights free agent, like I said, after 2021. He's a one-year rental once the other guys get back. He was an undrafted free agent. J.K. Dobbins was a second-round pick. And Gus Edwards, although, yes, he was an unstricted free agent too, this is his second stint now with uh, – or his second contract, rather – with the Baltimore Ravens. He just signed an extension through 2023. So J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, they are written in ink as the one and two at running back in 2022. Uh, Looking for the rest of this season, the Ravens have the 10th hardest strength of schedule according to Sharp Football, which is going to mean fewer positive game scripts. Ravens talked all offseason about wanting to be a more balanced team. They want to throw the ball more. We didn't see much of it in week one because the vast majority of that game, they were holding a multiple score lead over the Raiders. It wasn't until late in the fourth quarter and then obviously in overtime that the Raiders were able to come back in that one. So the Raiders really had, or the Ravens rather, seemed to have foot off the gas and they were comfortable just putting it on the ground for the majority of this game. With a tough schedule coming up and specifically looking forward at week two against the Kansas City Chiefs where that's not going to be an option, I'm really curious to see how they're going to utilize these running backs when they're playing from behind or in more neutral games game scripts than they are just on cruise control. One final stat before I go away. If you are sold on Tyson Williams, here's some negativity for you because you know that's what I bring to the table. The Baltimore Ravens, they have not had a leading rusher, not named Lamar Jackson, rush for over a thousand yards since 2014 in Justin Forsett. Wow. Seven years. I think Justin Forsett was actually like came out of nowhere too. He wasn't even projected to be like the stud in that backfield, and then he ended up blowing up. Did you have him on teams that year? Do you remember? I know I, I did. I, I think I did. I don't. Remember. I remember it's having so it. It was so ago. nice. <laughs> we didn't, winning right, games is nice. <laughs> the last segment. I didn't. Forget you did it. This it. Time. I didn't you didn't forget, forget it. it. You did it. You nailed it, man. You know who else is uh, nailing it? By the way, Terry McLaurin is fucking eating. Is he? I, I haven't seen it. What happened? Really well, nice. he had six for 60 and a touchdown at halftime. And like I said, I'm so split because you're playing against me in one league with Terry McLaurin. I've got several other leagues where I am playing Terry McLaurin. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> you feel happy. That's I'm split. All right. I'm perplexed. Anyway. Are you ready? Bring it. Do you remember? remember chad pennington oh of course i remember chad pennington <laughs> chad, chad pennington did i get you stuck yeah. on the qb train after the seneca wallace drop last time no i just i was coming out i was like you know what i'm not even gonna do any research i'm just gonna wait till the the, the i have to say it you just know? go on the top of the dome yeah. To, yeah whatever comes to my head is what i'm gonna sure, say sure. chad pennington i remember right. him and uh curtis martin together in new york I don't remember yeah. much Curtis Martin. Maybe the name a little bit, but I don't remember much Curtis Martin. Are, are you yeah. looking at his uh, like career page right now? Yeah, I'm on a pro football reference right Did now. Did he play anywhere outside of the Jets? Yeah, he played for Miami for three years. I was, oh, I was going to guess Miami. I was going to try to guess it. Anywhere Can you else? guess what years? It was the last three years of his career. Can you guess what years they were? Oh, gosh. Oh, four to oh, six. 08 to 2020 or to 2010, excuse me. Holy cow, you played a lot later than I remember. Yeah, I mean, he he only played four games in the last two years of his career, but he started all 16 games for Miami in 2008. Pretty pedestrian numbers. I mean, like career 66% completion percentage, 
like a well that's that's going to be every quarterback that we look back and evaluate like save hall of fame level players just because the game was so different pre like i don't know when exactly it changed but i guess it started changing somewhere in the mid to late 2000s like 2007 2008 maybe and they started getting a lot more lax on the quarterback changing the rules a little bit and we've seen like it progress Tom Brady more and more just every year forced the change of the NFL yeah maybe that was it rule and all that yeah the, the tuck rule was probably the good callback on the tuck rule that was i think that was 2000 what 3 4 somewhere in the, it was against the raiders right the snow game against the raiders 2003 in the snow yeah against the raiders that sounds right yeah so from that point forward it's just completely different game these guys are playing now I mean, we saw the pass or the uh, roughing the passer call earlier in this game where Chase Daniels or uh, Ch- Chase Young landed God. on Daniel Jones a little bit too hard. Yeah. I mean, call me laundry. old school, but like, come on, man, like no. that's just that's too much. No one's gonna call you old school. Every everyone agrees with it. You hate to see it, and just like everyone, I wish this was Madden and I could just turn injuries off. But losing a franchise quarterback, you lose so much money, man, and that's what motivates all these decisions. Money, money, money. Yeah. Typical, right? All right, man. That's the end of the show. Tell everybody where they can find us. Hit us up on Twitter at FLEXECUTION, F-L-E-X-E-C-U-T-I-O-N. I've said that a few times and I haven't messed up the spelling once. I'm kind of surprised. All the latest news goes through us. If it's not from us, it'll be retweeted. It'll be liked. And if you want my spin on it, follow me at FFMasterDebater. All right. See you guys on Monday night. Out. Let's get